Looking at um, wisdom today, I thought it'd be appropriate for us to have a look at, um, I suppose, some wisdom that come from, I suppose, simple sources. And so I've, I've got a, a, some wisdom from children I thought I'd start off with this morning. Um, Patrick, who is age 10, said, never trust a dog to watch your food. Pretty good wisdom. I watch our dog sitting around going, waiting for something to drop out of our children's hands. Uh, Michael, at, uh, age 14, says, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. Okay, probably good idea. Um, Joel, age 10, he says, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a cricket bat. Again, like good, good Good advice. Uh, Andrew, age nine, said puppies still have bad breath even after eating a mint. Um, I'm not sure how good the mint is for a dog, but anyway. Um, Talia, age 11, says when your mum is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. Um, Amir, age nine, says you can't hide a piece of broccoli in your milk. Um, never actually tried that one. Like um, tried other things, but not that one. Um, and Mitchell, age 12, says, don't sneeze in front of your mum when you're eating a cracker because um, then your mum's sort of wearing a cracker. So, And then Michael, age 14, never tell your mum her diet's not working. Um, doesn't matter how true the statement is, don't say it. And so today we're, we're continuing looking at lessons from the books of, of Chronicles. Um, and as we established last week, the book of Chronicles was written at a time after the people had come back from exile, but referring back to their history. And so you've got, um, as we spoke last week, you've got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, which cover this, this time of kings throughout the, the time of Israel, um, over hundreds of years. And then the book of Chronicles comes in and covers it again, but doesn't cover all the same material, covers new material, covers material in a different way because the book was written for a very different purpose because the people had gone into exile. They had been sent away because they had um, failed God. They had walked away from God. God had removed his hedge of protection around them and they were taken into Babylon. For 70 years, they spent time there. And so some people that went there never came back. They died there. Um, but some people came back, and and as they came back, there was there was a couple of people that helped lead the Israelites through that time. And Ezra was one of them. Nehemiah was another one. Um, I think there's a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Um, so if you want to look up a really cool name in the Bible, that's one. And and basically, but the people of Israel had come back to the land, and everything was destroyed the temple was destroyed the city walls were destroyed there was enemies all around and so in this space Ezra has written the book of chronicles and instead of just recording the history of what he's actually written lessons to the people um to highlight different things and last week we we talked about a census that David took and how again when we looked at it, it wasn't a big sin it wasn't even one of David's biggest sins but like when we think of David and his sins, you go, well, David and Bathsheba and David and Uriah, like those were really, really bad. And and this one, he basically took a census out of pride and and it caused such damage. But we actually watched David's response in, in, in one trying to take responsibility for his own sin, but also then sort of wanting to, to serve above and beyond when it comes to following God. 
Um, and today we're going to be jumping on to David's son, Solomon. Um, and again, Solomon has this um, really sort of a major spot in the Bible because not only was he David's son, we, we read about him in, 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 in the books of um, First Kings and then we, we read about him in Chronicles, but also the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, are sort of a, a lot of that is attributed to Solomon as well. And so, and today we're going to learn a lesson from Solomon about wisdom. Um, and, and so if you've got, if you've got a paper Bible here, if you want to put your finger in at second Chronicles chapter one, we're going to be coming back to that, but I want to actually go to first Kings chapter four to begin with. Uh, and so the Bible actually presents Solomon as one of the wisest people in the Bible. Um, and, uh, and in first Kings four, 29 to 34, it says, and so God gave Solomon wisdom very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than any wisdom of all the people of the east, greater than all the people of uh, wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman, Kalkol and Dada, sons of Mahol. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Um, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about trees from cedar uh, to, to in Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the war. He also spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, emissaries of all people sent by every, every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom came and listened to Solomon's wisdom. Now, all that being said, if you have a read of Solomon's life, you can still find he did plenty of things wrong. Okay, I'm not saying Solomon was this perfect person of history and, and goes, yeah, let's follow all the things that Solomon did. And if I was to say this, though, as Solomon chose different pathways in his life, he was actually walking away from the godly wisdom that had established him so well. And so even in that, it shows the necessity and the benefits of wisdom in our life. Um and so we're going to be talking about what Solomon did right and, and, and what he, how what he did benefited the whole nation. Uh, and so Solomon was replacing his dad, King David, who again was such a central figure to the life of Egypt. And so the stories of David and his faithfulness and his heart after God were there. Um, and and so we, we now jump up to... Um, well, we we go to the reading that was from today, and we see that Solomon was in a position where he goes, well, "Do you know what? If I'm going to rule, if I'm going to rule well, when God came and says, what do you want?' He could have said, "I want to be a mighty warrior like my dad. I want wealth. I want a great army." He could have asked for all these different things, but he uh, in Second Chronicles nine uh, one nine and ten we see. Lord God, let your promise to my father David now come true, for you have made me king over a, over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people, for who can judge this great people of yours? So let's put a bit of context on this. Who wants to guess how old Solomon was at this time? 15? No. Pretty close, though. Pretty close, though. 14. Oh, Jill. Oh. 
I gave you a hint at everything. Like, um, so um, um, I'll, I'll, for both of you, there, there, is a, there is a Kit Kat in the freezer for both of you after church because you got so close. I'm going to so there's a benefit of answering questions. So, um, uh, and just so you know, if I ask any more questions, I don't have any more Kit Kats left. So, um, but the thing is, at 14, Solomon became king. Now, I don't know about you at 14. Some of you might not even be there yet. But if, like, you had got the, the, a kingdom that your dad had built up because he was a great warrior and you had, like, a whole range of things, and you know, here, you are now, this is now your job for the rest of your life, I could imagine being a little bit overwhelmed. Um, but the thing is, I, I'm thinking about it, I could imagine being overwhelmed if you were seven or eight or 14 or 40. I think this job was not something you go, oh, this will be easy. And so Solomon, in knowing his inadequacy, he got to the point that I'm going, I'm going to be responsible for caring for two million people who need leadership, care, and protection. That's a lot to take on your plate. I've got four people I'm responsible at times. And there's some days I'm going, let's get rid of a couple, like just so I can handle it better. Um, you guys can imagine who I want to get rid of, but like um, it might be you. Uh, but, but, no. but the thing is, like even just that can be difficult. Sometimes we're in a position where we're caring for someone in our life and we go, that's like it's not, not to sort of make it simplistic, but it becomes all-consuming. It becomes a big focus of our lives. Solomon's got 2 million people under his care, under his protection. It was the, this was the biggest assignment of his life. And so what he does earlier in, in the chapter of um, uh, um, Second Chronicles chapter 1, he actually makes the biggest sacrifice he can imagine because he wants to, again, thank God, acknowledge God. And he, one after an, uh, another, a thousand animals were slaughtered and, and, and put on the altar. Now, in the Old Testament, just so we understand how the offering system works, there was a number of different offerings that were offered. And so, and, and again, Jesus actually replaced all of this system when he died on the cross. None of this is necessary anymore. And so there was the fellowship off offering where you basically would, you would bring a lamb, a cow, a chicken, and bring it to the, the priest and you would um, sacrifice it, but you would take a good portion of it and then you would go eat it with your family. And so it was food that you would they would cook and it was sort of like a, a form of worship. Um, but another type of offering was the burnt offering. Now, the burnt offering, um, and the way that it was explained to me first when I was in Bible college. Now, see, so we, we give offering. So it's our form, I suppose, of, in a way, a form of sacrifice. We give offering in church. We give, say we give $20, and we put it in the bag, and it's, then it goes on to be used for things around the church and, and, and conducting our mission in our world. Thing is, a burnt offering is different than that. And so, the, how it was explained to me was it's like taking a fifty dollar note out of your pocket and burning it and saying, "God, this is yours." And so, same way with, with Solomon, he took a thousand bulls and he gave and offered them as a burnt sacrifice to God. And the offering was totally consumed, symbolizing that you were giving everything to God. That's that's the point. 
like um because some of you going that's a lot of barbecue that no one gets to eat so now the point is is about you making an offering of 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 yourself in that process everything i'm giving to you god it is all yours because i don't know about you but in my practice when i'm following god i'll take something from my life and i'll put it on the altar and god i'm giving it to you and then i sneak back later and i grab some of it back and go, and, and while I'm there, I'm going, I'll take this too. God, you don't, you don't really need that, and I do. And so I've given everything to God, but then I take it back. But the problem with a burnt offering, it's all gone. There's nothing to take back. And so it's, it's a complete choice that you're giving over to God. And so this is what Solomon did. He offered a thousand. He did this a thousand times. So for a thousand times, he was saying, all I have is yours. Now we we sing songs like like oh, all I am is yours and we'll sing like um um uh, I surrender all and we we sing those songs and say God I have you have everything of me and 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 again I, I, there have been times when I've seriously sung those words I've meant every single word I've sung is that God everything I have is yours and then the sun goes down and the sun comes up and again there are things that I'm taking back from God and Solomon wasn't doing that he says everything I have is yours. A thousand times over. And more than that, he was showing that to the people. He was saying, God has all that I am. God is my main focus. God is going to lead this country. I'm just here to follow him. So that sort of sets up, I suppose, the context of what happens in what was read this morning. Because God had a question for Solomon. And so that evening, God came to me and asked, Solomon, what should I give you? Imagine that question for if God showed up at the end of your bed tonight and after you get over the initial shock of it, go, what, what can I give you? Think, think about what, like straight away, like um, for those who are going through some material sort of struggles at the moment, go, oh, oh, you could pay mortgage off or pay this off or do this or help me find a better job or you could take my boss away from that job. But like we start thinking of things that would, would impact and make our lives. Make me healthy again would be something that I'd put into that boat. God, I just want to be healthy again. Like, like I want to do all those things. And God's asked this question, what should I give you? thing is God what God was implying that after Solomon had offered this great gift to God a great gift of worship all I have is yours a thousand times over God is basically saying Solomon thank you for your gift but you can't outgive God you can't outgive me and so what do you want in return now Solomon was not imagining he was not doing it for a response from God and you can see that in the way that Solomon responds because in all humility, Solomon answers, I only want one thing, Lord. I want the wisdom to be able to fulfill the calling you have given me. So, God, you have made me king. I want to be a good king. I want to be a godly king. I need wisdom to be able to do that. I need your wisdom to be able to do that. And so he it's the perfect request. Grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people of yours. If you're going to give me something, God, help me. Give me something that will help me follow you and to do the job that you've given to me. Now, again, we, we know the story. So I'm, I'm going, 
there's no anticipation for most of us. But when 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 you first read that story, maybe, or first were told that story, or like maybe if you were Solomon in that story, you were waiting on God's response. Will he or won't he? Will he give will he give this to Solomon? And the thing is, it's without hesitation. God is gracious. And he says, Solomon, since you have asked me for something that will benefit others and not for the things that will benefit you, I'm going to give you what you asked for and I'm going to give you what you did not ask for. I'm going to shower you with riches and wealth and glory like unlike any other king before you. Now, just taking a moment to pause right here, Ezra, who is telling us this story, is teaching us a lesson about rebooting our lives. He's saying the best way to have a fulfilled life is to follow God's purposes for your life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Ezra is saying to the people who would be probably hearing this being read out to them, going, hey, just in the same way Solomon kind of reset and said, my life is about God's, we in our time need to reset and make our lives about God's. And then we could add to that, it's the same for us. We need to reset, reboot our lives and make our lives about God. And it is so easy. It is so easy when all the things of life pile up, whether that's a struggle of, of a trial of sickness or a, a trial of provision or a trial of like relational distress or a trial of this. Or, and all of a sudden our trials become, we're trying to maneuver our way through the trials and just survive what life is. And so the purpose of God can so easily get lost in the mix of that. And what we need to realize is that sometimes God wants us to live on purpose through those trials. I, I am like everyone else in this. When it, when a trial comes, I want it in the rearview vision, vision mirror as quickly as possible. I don't want to sit there enjoying the trial. Like I don't, I don't want to sort of go, "I oh, this is fun." Like let's let's live in this for a while. But at the same time, I realize is that sometimes I grow so much closer to God during those trials. When when I let God work through that. When I when I say God, what where is the lesson in this for me? What 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 am I needing to learn about you? What am I needing to learn about us and and trusting in you through this? But we need to learn about seeking after God and putting Him first in our lives. So Solomon asked for this incredible thing called wisdom. See, knowledge is facts and figures and principles. Wisdom is knowing what to do with those facts and figures and principles. In fact, I've met some people that are incredibly wise, even with small bits of knowledge, because they live out the truth that they do know. Now, that's significant. I, I think children can be wise, even when they don't have all the knowledge, because they live out what they know to be true. And so all of a sudden, It'll lead to things like peace in their life. It'll lead to things like joy in their life. It'll lead to things like contentment. It'll lead to things like, hey, living life like fully. Because one, you'll, you'll meet some kids who goes, oh, I know I trust God. So what's the purpose of worrying about tomorrow? And us grown-ups with more knowledge go, well, it's not that simple. Well, it is actually because God hasn't changed. All, those, all that bits of knowledge were there beforehand. But we just weren't aware of it. I'm going, with the little knowledge I have, I know that, that 
God can be trusted is a 100% truthful statement. And so why worry? And yet sometimes I look back at my kids and go, I wish I could go back to their age. There wouldn't be a worry in the world. And the conviction comes and going, haven't I learned to trust God more in all the years that I've followed God? Haven't I, haven't I got to that point where God has become more and more to me? So knowledge is about information. Wisdom is about application. It's about knowing what to do in every situation. And sometimes that means that you need to seek that wisdom when that situation comes up. I, there has been plenty of time that a situation arises where I'm going, I have not been through this before. What is the right thing to do? What is the right time to act? What is it? all those things? And so it's either I try and work it out with my experience or maybe I call people for their experience or maybe with all that combined, I then go to God and think, God, which way should I go? Because I want to make a point of this. There is a difference between godly wisdom and wisdom. Because sometimes, see, godly wisdom for me is like being obedient to God. That's a wise thing to do. So if God asks you to do something, you do it. That's, that's godly wisdom. The problem is sometimes God asks you to do things that don't make logical sense on our human sort of scale. And even if you find it in the Bible, there are some stories in there where you go, God, that does not make sense. Most of you have heard of Isaiah, prophet Isaiah. He was told to walk around naked, Jerusalem, for three years as a, a, an illustration of what was going to happen to Jerusalem. They were going to be left bare. They were going to be stripped naked. Now, I am so glad, and you are so glad, that God hasn't asked me to do that. Like even one sermon would be too long. Three years of doing that, walking around Jerusalem. And I'm not sure whether he walked around the city once a year naked. Even that would be too much. Like it would be way too much. And you, But again, Isaiah knew the difference between human wisdom and godly wisdom and the people needed an illustration that would take impact. And I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. Not enough though, but it, it made an impact. The thing is, take some time to keep reading through some of the, the chapters that follow because what you will see is the impact of, of Solomon's choice for wisdom actually impacted his kingship and the success of his kingship and, and, and how the nation grew. Like he grew armies, he accumulated and generated wealth. And um, I think in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, um, it talks about he focuses on the temple. and But even before that, I can't remember the exact number because I, well, I had to translate it. And, but it was something like he got about 50 tons of gold a year from all the other nations because of how wise the partnerships he formed and how he managed his country. And so God had promised him wealth because he'd asked for wisdom. And so we see that play out. But then we see in, in, in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, Solomon actually then turned his attention to something else, to, to honor God. And he, so we see Solomon decided to build a temple for the name of the Lord and royal palace for himself. So he signed 70,000 men as porters, 80,000 men as stonecutters in the mountains, and 3,600 as supervisors over them. Now, again, I can't go past that passage and go, there's 3,600 people who are just going to be watching other people do all the hard work. 
I'm going, how would you get that job? Like, I'm going, how close to Solomon do you need to be to get that one? Um, but Solomon knew the importance of having a place for people to worship God, and he knew how to assign labor and build that place. And Solomon's wisdom um, endowed Israel with the most incredible temple of worship in the world. Um, and so we see, um, yeah, through chapters 3 to 8, describe the, the building of the temple and how he fortified the cities and how he settled the people in those cities so that all of Israel prospered. Because, again, Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could benefit the people. It wasn't so he could get ahead in life. Um, it wasn't like some gimmick on the stock markets. If you do this, you will earn this much money straight away or, or anything like that. And of course, we see, like, again, the, the prosperity um, through provision that God brought. Now, the point Ezra is trying to make is this wisdom is a great gift. And Israel experienced fantastic blessings as a result of Solomon's wisdom. Israel became the wealthiest nation in the world. And, and her people enjoyed safety at the borders. And the whole world experienced a blessing as a result of Solomon's prayers. So the thing is, Solomon actually brought a peace that actually went beyond their borders. Since no one was attacking Israel, no one was really fighting at all. And, and, and Solomon actually engaged in the work of, of people from other nations to do some of the things with inside their country. And so all of a sudden they were at peace. He had partnerships with, um, with countries in, in Africa and Egypt and, and then under the north of Israel as well. He actually brought about a time of peace. But this is the thing. Solomon was wise enough to know that his wisdom couldn't accomplish everything. So he was truly a really wise man because, again, humility and wisdom actually work hand in hand. And so even though the world said, Solomon, you're the wisest person in the world, he knew that he had his limits. He knew, I don't understand that or I can't do that. He, he, would, he would go to a higher source. And in chapter seven, um, or chapter six, it contains this incredible prayer by Solomon, and it continues into chapter seven, which contains God's response to Solomon's prayer. And this response may be quite a a, a famous response, one of the most famous response to prayer in the Bible. Let me just read it out: Second Chronicles uh, seven twelve to fourteen. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, "I have heard your prayer." Now. Again, God showing up at the end of your bed at night saying, I've heard your prayer. Now, some of us are going to, be in, the boat going, are going to be in the boat where we've been praying for things like, um, God, can you help me um, get more money at work? And I'm going, when God says, I've heard your prayer, going, oh, you've heard that one. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't take time to pray that big prayer. But Solomon's prayer is, was, was praying again for his nation as the temple was dedicated and, and praying for his people. And so God says, I've heard your prayer. That, that becomes a comforting thought. Like, God, that's the same for all of us. Um, and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. He said, if I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, 
again, this is during Solomon's life. The, the land is, is in a good place. Israel's in a good place. You don't have to go too many generations down the track from here where you see this playing out, where the people have walked away from God. Kings have walked away from God, and God has done exactly that. He has shut the heavens. He has sent pestilence. He is, is trying to draw the people back to him. And and again, I've, and I've spoken with this with the youth. I'm sure I've spoken about it. There's a secular motion that Israel went through where they would be up here following God, and then they'd kind of go their own way and start worshipping idols, and then they'd fall into despair because they had fallen under the, the, the persecution of foreign nations. And so then they turned to God again. And then God sort of is victorious. And the people go, God, you are amazing. And you think that would be enough for them to keep following God? No. As soon as the generation goes, sometimes even within a generation, they go, do you know what? We're going to follow the other gods again, the pieces of stone, the pieces of wood, the pieces of gold. We're going to follow those gods because they've been so good to us in the past. There was a foolishness there. So this verse from Second Chronicles, some of you may have memorized it in a, a, one version or another, and it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Sounds like something we need in our own, own city, in our own nation. If God's people will come together, if we will do that, we'll humble ourselves, pray, seek God's faith, and turn from our wicked ways. It's really interesting in that. It's not saying, oh, we got, we, the other people need to turn from their wicked ways. It's actually saying we as God's people who have been pursuing wicked ways, we need to turn from that. See, the thing is, when you are humble, you are admitting that you are not big and you are not God. That becomes a really big key. It says, I'm not in control, and I have no ability to be in control. When you pray, you talk to God about your hopes and dreams. When you seek God's face, you think about him and try to do your day with him so that his face and his thoughts are always with you and guiding you. And to turn from your wicked ways means to turn from your wicked ways, not to offer excuses. Everyone is doing it, or I'm not as bad as the next person. It is to turn from those things that you know are wrong and to do the right thing. This is the key to healing our land. This is the key to recovering well. This is the key to revival. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek God's face. Turn from your wicked ways. I would easily say that our country needs this. Probably many countries need this. We don't need to call other people to turn from their wicked ways. God will heal our land, will not heal our land until he first has an army of healers in his hand. So under Solomon's wisdom, Israel prospers. They have peace and hope and a rising economy as well. It was a time like never before and ever since. And Ezra is teaching a lesson about wisdom um, and, and saying, if you want to start your life over, live it at a higher level. You need wisdom. Wisdom is, is God's greatest gifts. Proverbs 8.11 says, Wisdom is better than jewels, and nothing desirable can equal it. It's in this that Solomon shows just amazing maturity to go, Do you know what? What I want above everything else, everything else of value is wisdom. Whatever you desire, money, 
power, thrills, achievements, recognition. Wisdom is better than them all. And so if you want to recover well or, or revive yourself well, well, there are four steps that I'm going to challenge you to take. First of all, offer yourself to God. Like Solomon did when he offered those, those thousand bulls on, on the altar. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. A thousand times over. Declare a do-over. Do build an altar somewhere, maybe in your heart, and, and climb onto it yourself. Offer yourself over to God. Give him your possessions, your positions, your rights, your hopes, your goals, your dreams. Say, Lord, here I am. All I have is yours. All I have is yours. The second thing to do to live in a higher level is to ask God for wisdom. The book of James, which we've read through recently, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. When we don't have wisdom, it's because we have not asked God for it. And once you've asked for wisdom, to continue to grow in wisdom, and, and, and there are so many sources to be able to do this, and so we need to continually seek wisdom. And I think sometimes we, when it comes to living for God, we kind of draw some kind of shape around ourselves and we go, when I'm at church, I'll let people into that space. But after that, I'm going to close it all off and then I'll live life. And we live life sometimes separately to how God wants us to. It may, it may not be bad or evil, but we kind of there's a bit of a disconnect even within ourselves. And, and one of the things we need to do is we need to continually seek wisdom. We need to ask, how would God want me to be a dad? How would God want me to be a husband? And, and so sometimes that I'll find that in the Bible. Sometimes I'll find it in godly men around me who go, do you know what? This is some of the things that I learned and God showed me through my journey of being a dad, or my journey of being a husband. Maybe, maybe it's, it's wisdom in, in, in choosing like um, career paths and, and, and someone to marry and, and all those things. Like they should very much be having God's wisdom involved in those things. You don't want to get like down the track and go, I wish I'd ask God about this. You don't want to get down that path. And so God becomes that influence in our life at all times. And so we need to continually seek wisdom. So make a bird offering, ask for wisdom, pursue wisdom, and then we need to walk in wisdom. Proverbs 13.20 says, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And, and we need to be deliberate about putting ourselves in places that will enhance our walk with God. And so, okay, right from all of them, we start right at the bottom. We, we've got sin in our lives. It makes it really hard to walk with God. Like, I'm not saying God can't grow your life, but if you are hanging on to a persistent sin in your life, it is going to stunt your growth at best. Like, it's it's not going to be a good thing for you. And God may show yourself. And, I, and I've seen that in my own life when there's been something that I've hung on to for not months, not weeks, but years. And God, every time I, I come to confess my sin before God, that's the first one that God brings up. And I'm going, God, nah, not that one today. What about these other things? These are really easy ones to confess. 
And so God is saying, no, you need to deal with this one. If you want to grow with me, if you want to submit yourself to me and, 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 and have wisdom in your life, you need to get rid of this. For us to, to walk in wisdom, we need to put ourselves in the right place to receive wisdom. And, and that, um, that, yeah, church is going to be one of them. Opening up God's word is going to be one of them. Surrounding yourself by people that can pour their lives into that and actually taking time to hear what they're saying. Anyone here, even if you are on the upper end of, 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 of age now, at any time in your life when someone's giving you advice, you've gone, they're old, what would they know? Like, there have been times I've kind of, even, even my parents have gone, what would they know? They're from a different generation. What would they know about following God that I, like, and all of a sudden you, you miss out on those opportunities to let people to pour themselves into their, their lives, to be in God's word and let God speaking directly to you, but then actually putting that into practice. Like, okay, this is a real easy one. If you're reading a verse um, as like, um, you need to forgive others because you've been forgiven. You, oh, that's really good, really good teaching there, God. And then you've got someone that you've got unforgiveness against. Wisdom dictates that you go forgive that person. It's not just an idea. It's not just some philosophy. It's actually put into practice. So when God says we need to love those who are lost, love people with compassion, to do these things, God is not saying, hey, this is, this is just so that you can win a trivia contest at church. No, he's saying, I want you to live this out. I want you to put it into practice because in doing so, you can be wise. And this is why you can have people that may have this much knowledge but have this much wisdom because they take the knowledge that they have and they put into action. There are some people and like scholars of God's word who would know it way better than me but never live it out at all in their lives. And that's not, that's not wisdom. That's not being wise. And so we need to walk in wisdom. And I suppose that's the challenge today is how do you need to be wise? Do you need to humble yourself? Maybe you you only sort of let God in when you're kind of really at that point where you go, I've got nowhere else to go. And you say, no, God, I need you first and foremost. I need you involved in my life, even when I'm making those small decisions about what I'm doing. Even at the start of each day, God, I want you to be in charge of what I'm doing today, and I'm going to—I'm seeking your 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 guidance in doing that. That's humility. We get to the point where we we need to offer all of ourselves, and and saying, God, this is me. Use it as you see fit. The thing is, wisdom only. I suppose like it's like the chemical reaction when you if you've got two things that react to each other, you can say that they react, but if you keep them separate, there's no reaction. Wisdom only reacts in our life when we put it to work. Like if we don't if we don't want wisdom to to take a place, we might go, oh, that's really good information, and we'll hold it up, put it in a box, leave it in that drawer, and I'll open it up at a later time. But wisdom works when it's 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 active in our life, when God has that. Um, access to us as he leads us. And so, again, this week, put God's wisdom to action in your life. And even seek out God's wisdom. If you are uncertain what to do, seek out God's wisdom. Ask God. Ask godly people around you. What do you think we should do in this situation? And and that's the thing. Don't 
don't think that like I'm going to have all the answers because you know what? I need to go to God to ask for wisdom. Like it's not, I I don't have all the knowledge in the world. I don't have all the wisdom in the world. And so in my in my need in my need to be humble, I need to keep going back to God over and over again so that he can guide me in how I live out my faith and how I lead in this church. And so I would ask you to do the same as we seek to to revive our lives, revive our character, revive our church and revive our community. Let's take some time to pray. Lord, today we do want to come before you and we want to seek to... Um, we want to seek to offer all of ourselves to be in that position where we are um, not holding ourselves back in any way. I, I pray that you are able to to work mightily in our hearts, uh, in our minds. Um, but Lord, we need to give them to you first. So Lord, convict us today. If there is anything that we are holding back from you, help us to be willing to to give it to you with open hands. Let us pray, Lord, that all I have is yours and please to use our lives to fulfill your purposes. Today, Lord, we do ask for your wisdom. Give us wisdom to know what to do in the situations that we are in and to give us wisdom to carry out the calling that you've put on each one of our lives. Lord, I pray that, as it says in James, if we are lacking wisdom, to ask for it. And so today, Lord, I ask for your wisdom to fill each one of us and that we may live it out as we walk with you. And so we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.